Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Charlotte. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Dingwell of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Dingwell of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Melting. <laughs> Under this hot L.A. sun. Yeah, yeah. Are you just not insulated in your in your studio there? Because you, you and I both are now in a situation where we have the house that we live in and then a backyard where there's a different weird building. Yeah. And that building has where we record in it so that, you know, our families don't have to look at us during. We used to record at home and now we record in the garage or whatever, <laughs> the converted garage. Yeah. I don't know how Marin did it because he was in a <laughs> uninsulated garage forever, right? Yeah. He had Obama in that fucking garage. Yeah, can you imagine how hot it was in there? Full of fucking Secret Service. What are we complaining about? Yeah, yeah. And he was he was over here on the east side with me. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was really in it. Yeah, I mean, I'm in a cinder block building, so usually it stays pretty cool in this building until the afternoon to evening. But that's mm-hmm. kind of when we record, so I I usually have the air conditioning going like all day and then I shut it for records but uh today we we both decided we are not going to shut the air conditioning so uh it's the listeners who suffer <laughs> the seattleite in me is so deeply ingrained that I like want to use the air conditioner as minimally as possible like <laughs> you'd think I was some sort of uptight dad with how I want to conserve the power over all other matters mm-hmm. Including my own comfort. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that European friends of DeSoto are like, what is going on right now? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But now I just don't want to sweat anymore during a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You said you were guesting on a show? Yeah, I guested yesterday on a show and I was was a mess by the end. Talking rainforest sweating. But my nest sent me an email after it was over and it was like, hey, Everything all right over there? Because I'm a learning thermostat. I'm a learning computer. I noticed that you ran the AC hours and hours, and it only got hotter. Yeah. And I'm worried about you, bud. That uh, that happened in our house proper last summer when we brought the baby home. There was a crazy mm-hmm. heat wave here in LA, and the AC was running 24 hours a day for seven or eight days. And like during the middle of the day, it would not be equal to the task of keeping the house cool. It's scary to think about the places in this country where blackouts from the power company happen. Yeah. And what people who aren't so virile and youthful the way we are (laughs) would have to endure something like that. I mean, look at how lucky we are Mm. with these birdies. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) Hmm. At our age. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Looking good, feeling good. My body's really a temple, a nice, cool, tranquil temple. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'll say. Speaking of which. Speaking of amazing things our bodies can do. Yeah. There is a hollow body in today's episode that can do a pretty nifty trick 
And uh, this character decides to monetize mm-hmm. that trick. Oh, turn yeah. it into a career in a kind of way that feels very familiar to me. Yeah, yeah. Don't just turn your hobby into a job without giving it some serious consideration. Yeah, that really is the takeaway of Star Trek Voyager Season 6, Episode 13, Virtuoso. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. <laughs> and we cold open with news of a group of people and their damaged vessel aboard Voyager. It's a Kamarian vessel, but the people are called the Kamar. So, uh, Is that confusing? I don't know. I feel like sometimes if if you end on like a hard R like that, I would expect a Kamari vessel to be the, yeah. you know? Oh, geez. I was not in the linguistic weeds in that particular way up top. <laughs> Yeah, I was just really feeling a race of people who are basically, you know what your problem is, <laughs> types of people. Nice to see Martin Scorsese get a uh, an acting role on the show. I barely recognized him without his glasses. I know. <laughs> there he is. Going on and on about the cinema to the doctor. Didn't realize what a short-statured man he was. Yeah. The Kamara are short kings and queens, and... Uh, they are superior kings and queens as well. Yeah. They don't like your Marvel movies, and they don't like your shitty holographic doctor technology. They do that thing where they're like bad tourists in a foreign country that refuse to speak the other language. They just speak <laughs> louder and slower in order to make themselves clear. We are ready to return to our ship. Yeah. Yeah. Although uh, the lady, Tinku, who mm-hmm. is the one with the speaking part in this scene and goes on to have a big role overall, I feel mm-hmm. like she does just kind of speak really slowly in general throughout the yeah. episode. Like th- this is over-articulated, as they put it in the subtitles, which I always have on. What may be under-articulated is their superiority though because like while they do possess the superiority complex and we do see how sort of great their society is Mm -hmm. the explicit way in which their society is superior is kind of unmentioned right theirs is the superior mind but we don't get any practical examples of ways in which that is true yeah yeah i kind of wanted them to prove it yeah give us ten thousand light years everybody else has yeah, yeah. But the, the Kamar are like, they're very like plain people. You're basic. And they're assholes and they're condescending. You know, the captain is very happy to leave the doctor with these people because she doesn't want to deal with their bullshit. Yeah. And they're explaining to her that they live in a very like hermetic society where they don't get to meet aliens very often. Especially inferior ones. So they're not used to dealing with like dum-dums like the Voyager crew. No, and on the one hand, you sort of understand how, I mean, you see this all the time in real life. Like a person who isn't used to being out in the world often runs into difficulties in social situations, mm-hmm. like not accidentally offending people. <laughs> and this is kind of their way. Like they've kept it themselves for a long, long time. And now that they're sort of out in the world... They're hurting some feelings. Yeah. It's like, it's, you know, I don't think Martin Scorsese was trying to shatter the dreams of lots of uh, comic book nerds when he said what he said. 
about the no. about those films? Not at all. Just stating a deeply held conviction of his own. He's an old man. Look at him. <laughs> He's going to say weird shit. The doctor gets left with these people and starts humming a little ditty about working on the railroad. And uh, these people are fascinated. This is like the scene in the movie theater in Gremlins where the dwarves sing hi-ho and all the gremlins love it. Like, (laughs) these aliens are totally wrapped. Like, they are enormous fans of I've Been Working on the Railroad, the song. Another motherfucking slappy. This fucking... This hits so hard for them. Yeah. They're like, what is it? Like, is it some kind of math that you're doing? Like, what's its purpose for why? Would it be possible for me to get, like, the EP CD where it's, like, the radio edit, yeah. the explicit version, <laughs> the instrumental? Right. All of it. The track that you think might be the next hit off the record, you know? But so rarely is. No. When we come back from the theme, he is putting on a full-blown concert in the corner of Six Bay for these people, and they... Just are, are, you know, eating out of his hand, basically. Now, that's what I call royalty-free classics. <laughs> Volume one. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, text streaming up the screen, and every so often, one of the song titles is highlighted yellow, and he switches into that one. It's kind of a medley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the patients in the Six Bay are totally like before they were just like bewildered at what the doctor was doing and now like they want to know how it is happening mechanically or whatever this is like making a horse deal cards where it's just a matter of the voltage (laughs) or is this like in his programming or what yeah they put a bunch of peanut butter in your mouth or (laughs) yeah and the doctor I mean, this is a really tall task, right? How do you explain to someone who's never heard it what music is and why music is? He is ill-suited to this, even though he's like the most passionate about music of any character on the ship. He doesn't really have a comfortable relationship with recreation, so explaining the recreational nature of something is a little bit out of his grasp. Yeah. It's like you owning a video game. It's like, why do you even have that, you know? All it's going to do is make you feel guilty about never taking any me time. Yeah. My video game system is a guilt machine. (laughs) So they pull up to the Komar planet, and there are a ton of spaceships and space stations in orbit of this planet. Like, for people that don't ever talk to or deal with outsiders, they have a lot of equipment for getting around. Weren't you suspicious with the about face the Kamar had? Like, they were really ready to get the fuck off the ship and leave just as soon as possible until the doctor started singing. And now the welcome mat set out for them. Yeah. I was kind of on alert from here for something that didn't end up happening eventually. <laughs> but, like, I didn't trust them. The Kamar did seem a, like a little bit like they would just take something that they wanted, and I, yeah. I sort of thought it was a getting set up for a doctor napping episode. Right. Instead, they, they really roll out the welcome mat. They, they pull in, and they're like, oh, my God, there's so many different signals being broadcast. It's like maybe they're not even aware that we're here, but then one comes directly to Voyager, and uh, 
Tinku is on screen and announces that they have the privilege of meeting Roberto Clemente Award winner and Baseball Hall of Famer, Prelate Carew. <laughs> yeah. Things really move quickly this episode because the doctor has gone from performing a tiny biobed concert to like having a booking at the largest performance hall on the Kamar planet. Yeah. And Janeway's like more than happy to allow the doctor to do this performance as a diplomatic gesture. There's coffee in that recital. Yeah. You know, like when uh show is in previews, you get kind of like friends and family to sit in the audience and check it out. And mm-hmm. so they sort of test the doctor out on some Voyager crew members and, you know, the people that they were rescuing at the beginning of the episode and the prelate. And uh, he sings some songs. These people learn to clap for the first time, and it looks very much like my baby learning to clap. <laughs> I love Star Trek clapping. You see this all the time. The alien species yeah. picking up on it, figuring yeah. out how to do it, doing it badly. I wish there had been one Bajoran in this room so we could see a Bajoran clap one more time. I know. Yeah, I did like that quite a bit. Isn't it intense the way the Kamar learn how to clap too? Like, their clapping is... With intention. Yeah, yeah. I want to hurt my hands clapping. It definitely looks like they're clapping at someone. (laughs) Well, they are clapping at the Kim Tones when they come on to play uh, an instrumental set. They do not care for this. They fucking hate it. Yeah. You can register it on their faces. They full-on interrupt the show. Yeah. We wish to hear the doctor. The doctor saves them by standing in and uh, accompanying them with his beautiful, dulcet tones. Yeah. Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. After this gathering has concluded the performance part, there's sort of a a wine mixer after (laughs) or something. (laughs) Well, like it's where the Kamar get to mingle. Mm-hmm. with the performers and so forth. And every conversation they're in gets sort of steered into whether or not the doctor is involved in whatever they're talking about. It's yeah. not just that they love the music that the doctor performs. There's something about the doctor himself and how they can get time with him. And if a Kamar hasn't met the doctor yet, how to get that introduction. Probably the most vivid illustration of this is Vinka just like walking over Harry Kim's dick to try to get to the doctor. Yeah. That's Harry Kim, Vinka. What are you doing? Aren't you one of the musicians? Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. Vinka. (laughs) Parents must be very proud. Welcome aboard Voyager. They come come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. If you'd like to see the rest of the ship, I'd be happy to give you a tour. Maybe later. Who are you? Harry Kim. I lasted 22 minutes. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. I was wondering if you could introduce me to the doctor. Yeah, Harry Kim, not used to this. (laughs) I mean, Harry Kim, famously the stick man of the USS Voyager. Clear in this scene that uh, the doctor is the hollow stick man of the ship. Surely. (laughs) So, yeah, they're working on now expanding this to a bigger fancier performance space on the home world. And uh, this is involving re-engineering the entire structure, which the Kamar are happy to do. 
to a uh, a Disneyland specification, I would say. <laughs> yeah. BLT really wants to barf at the doctor's smugness as she's assisting this engineering project. You really think they're going to redesign an entire building just to appeal to your vanity? Vanity has nothing to do with it, Lieutenant. She doesn't care for this. The doctor taking to his newfound fame and glory like a duck to water, but BLT does not like it. This is real season one doctor attitude here where the doctor's smug superiority comes up and meets an alien race with that totally in their DNA. And they seem like a great combination, right? Yeah, they admire this in him. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, you're a real dick to others about how much better you are than them. We think that's cool. When BLT leaves this scene, Tinku notices that the Voyager crew doesn't appreciate the Doctor the way they do. That must be very frustrating for you. You have no idea. And this is a very important seed that gets planted. This sort of resentment. Yeah. We flash forward to backstage the night of the big performance. And the doc has, uh, you know, pre-show jitters. There's a great effect where he uh, pushes the button on his mobile emitter and his, like, opera clown costume appears on him. How do I look? You look perfect. Ben, you and I both know exactly how it feels to be backstage before a Greatest Gen live show, Mm -hmm. feeling like you're wearing a clown suit, (laughs) about to go out there. Well, yeah. Anybody that's seen us live knows we dress as Pagliacci when we (laughs) we perform. The metaphorical clown suit. Metaphor! Is what I was referring to. What it feels like to perform Greatest Gen. Yeah, because the literal clown suits we look great in. Right. It's a formal clown suit. Like, if you were a professional clown and you got invited to a white party, this is the sort of clown suit you'd wear, right? Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's, like, looking through that little hole in the in the curtains to yeah. see what the crowd looks like. There's a kind of a weird comp of a crowded opera house. <laughs> it's just like... They've like comped recognizable characters all in the front row so that the like fake people in the background don't draw your eye as much. The rise and run of that upper level of the performance space looks terrifying. Yeah. To be seated in or to think about walking up or down. I've been in performance spaces like that though, where you're like, God, if I fucking eat shit on this step, like it is a long way down. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that. Don't like that feeling at all. The doctor's nervous because it's not just this group of people that are going to see him. It's going to be simulcast to millions around the world like it's the Super Bowl of row, row, row your boat or something. (laughs) Yeah, the ad space is being sold for like millions of dollars for 30-second spots. It's just bonkers. I do kind of wish all the songs he sang were like children's classics instead of pivoting (laughs) to opera, you know? Yeah, you should have started with opera, you know? Like, that would have been a better bit than the Kim Tones coming on and cheaper to execute for production, you know? Like, they should have had him do, like, some real songs and have them go like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. (laughs) We want to hear what other stuff the wheels on the bus do again. Exactly. Yeah, it would be fun if that were their taste (laughs) exclusively. (laughs) Is it an algorithm? Yes, it is an algorithm. (laughs) 
later on Voyager, it's suddenly red alert. And it's Seven that has broken the astrometrics glass. Ankylosaur. And triggered this alert. Yeah. And that's because she's found out the Kamar are sabotaging Voyager. Specifically trying to overload their comm system. And I thought this was kind of a funny throwback to that episode, The Voyager Conspiracy, like Seven overinterpreting some information as nefarious. This is the officer you want on that wall. You need her on that wall. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. What this really is, is fan letters coming through. Yeah. Voluminous fan letters. And there's a kind of funny conversation where the captain tries to explain to Seven who, you know, I mean, Seven should know what this is like. She was like the tertiary adjunct to Unimatrix 01. Like, she was like right in the in the heart of it with the most famous Borgs there is. Yeah, you got to believe when you're serving at the throne of the queen or whatever, like, you're going to get a lot of drone letters incoming, right? Right. Like, hey, uh, so does your body go down past your decolletage or is that all just kind of a robot suit? Either way, just a huge fan of your work. Um, Let me know. Sometimes I think about you and the other... 50 billion Borgs I'm, I'm tied into. <laughs> but when I think about you, something weird happens. Mm-hmm. I bought a magazine where it said that you were going to share some tips about how to get your cranial cabling to loop back in exactly that way. Because yeah. I think it's so pretty on you, but it just doesn't look great on me. And I'm wondering if you have any any advice. Yeah. Janeway explains that this is something that fans do. And Seven, in spite of how we've described what Borg fandom might be like, is not able to grasp this concept at all. Can't wrap her mind around it. No. This glorification of the individual is irrational. This is kind of the beginning of Seven being like totally disgusted with what's going on in the Doctor's world. Yeah. The captain has to leave because the ship is sort of getting overrun with Kamar. This is a situation I never like to see in Star Trek. It's just too many visitors aboard the ship at any one time. Yeah. Because these Kamar have positively crammed the area around Deck 2. They're hoping to get a glimpse of the doctor because he's inside the mess hall and he has a tiny dock that he's playing with in front of everyone. And they love watching him play with his tiny dock. (laughs) Over and over again. He plays with it yeah. to their delight. It's sort of insatiable, right? Yeah. The tiny duck. Like once it's done singing, he can just turn it back on and go again. One great surprise about this scene is that the doctor has his tiny duck, but then like you can take the doctor's tiny duck home with you. Yeah. And then do whatever you want with it there. This is like the merch table if you could take home Ben and Adam from a Greatest Gen Live show. Right. Or a tiny dock from each of us. <laughs> Please accept this 8 by 10 by 4 singing replica of me. Janeway walks in and takes great umbrage with what's going on here. Yeah. A we need to talk is leveled, and that's never good. Yeah. You can see how heartbroken the people that were like just about to meet the doctor in line are in this moment. Yeah. They're like, I, I've been waiting for hours, and now he's getting in fucking trouble from his fucking boss? Are you kidding? Yeah. A lot of people wanted to play with this tiny duck. Yeah. Might not be able to anymore. He is so focused on his star turn that he has not been 
doing anything in six bay. He hasn't sent her reports. He isn't treating the crew for bumps and bruises. You know, medical emergencies are not being seen to. And uh, he's being very cavalier about this. So cavalier, he calls her Katie Eau Claire. I wasn't aware we were on a first name basis. I, I meant Captain. I'm sorry. I could see this happening a lot more than it does. Accidentally calling her Catherine instead of Captain. They kind of sound phonetically similar. They're not that far off, yeah. Yeah. Captain Catherine Janeway really has a nice ring to it. Yeah. Do you think they started with the name and then worked back from there? Probably. The main takeaway is get back to work, doctor. (laughs) Yeah. He heads back to Six Bay and a couple of groupies have made their way to Six Bay to get treated. This is like classic groupie behavior, right? Figuring out the, the place where the person is going to be instead of trying to fight your way through the crowd where they are. This has happened to you a bunch on tour, I'm sure. I didn't recognize this behavior initially, but now that you mention it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every time I get back to my hotel room. Yeah. This is Vinka and Azen, and they both make it clear that uh, their presence in the six bay is about trying to get close to the doctor, and they're slowly backing him into a corner. Yeah. We don't want a replica. We want the full-size version. What are they going to do to him, Adam? I wanted to know. He's already got a kid, you know? They're probably capable of some very mathematical lovemaking, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vinka's going to do the cosine and Azen's going to do the sine. They can recite penis to 27 digits. <laughs> One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use squarespace it'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. 
And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. So we're back at another performance now. He's backstage with Tinku again. And Tinku's like, hey, like, this may be a little bit forward, but uh, I got something for you. She hands him an iPad, and it's a piece of music that she's written. Nobody on this planet has ever written a piece of music, but inspired by the EMH, Tinku has written a song for him to sing. How about the balls on Tinku to just like give this composition to a performer, thinking yeah. that they'd want to perform it? <laughs> yeah, but then again, like they don't have other performers on their planet, so no like social codes to know about and violate. Great call. Yeah, yeah. The idea that this is a seduction technique is also pretty apparent here, too, because, like, while she has made this especially for him, and it may or may not be something it's possible for him to perform, the idea of him staying and attempting to perform it with her forever is a part of the offering here. Yeah. His last performance is scheduled for tomorrow, and he's like, yeah, so I, um, there's no way I can do this tonight. And she's like, well, you know, like, maybe you should just stay and, and we'll, like, modify your program until you can sing it. You know, your crew will be fine without you. They're very, uh, they're plucky. This is a really mathy species, and the argument she's got in this moment is a very mathy argument. She's like, look, there's a hundred and whatever crew people on Voyager but there are millions and millions and millions of Kamar down here whose lives you're making better through your singing. So when you weigh those two, the choice seems obvious. You're already triple platinum doing 50 a week. Yeah. Down here. 
It's needs of the many, and also, this is going to be great for you. The doctor doesn't think about this very long because we smash cut into Janeway's office, and the doctor is there to resign. Yeah, this really goes over like a lead balloon with the captain. Does not care for the idea that he is so taken with his fame that he's passing her a resignation letter. What was the bigger mistake? The the doctor resigning or using a hypothetical Harry Kim situation to make his case? <laughs> because because Janeway is like, You're not Harry Kim. Harry Kim fucks all the time, <laughs> but he doesn't settle down. He's married to the ship. <laughs> The idea of Harry Kim getting so infatuated with one of his conquests that we meet on an alien world that he would leave for her is laughable, Doctor. I lasted 22 minutes. Should I feel complimented or insulted? So the Doctor like pivots right into the, you know, the old nut about self-determination and him being a, a hollow person with rights and the ability to make choices like this. And this really puts Janeway into a corner argumentatively because like it's hard for her to argue against this without using the doctor is property counter to it. And so like I think she's sort of put on her back foot. Yeah. There's not a lot she can say. Yeah. By also approving and denying the request the way that she does, I think is also an elegant solution to the conflict here too. Like Professional Janeway can't get on this at all, but like Janeway the friend, she'll go along with this. It's a tough moment. She's, you know, I think partially persuaded by the doctor's feelings about Tinku and the idea he has that this is not just a career move, but also a a romantic move. And she just has to take his word for that. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a tough moment. Janeway gets on the radio to uh, Harry Kim and is like, Harry, there's someone I'd like you to meet and absolutely wreck. <laughs> That's a scene that they uh, they cut from uh, the version of the episode that aired, but if you get yeah. the DVDs, you can see that. And it kind of explains a lot about you know, how Tinku is and a couple of the decisions she makes yeah. for the rest of the episode. Yeah, once she has her back mathematically blown out. <laughs> her feelings will be different about the doctor. Ensign Paris is having some bad feelings about the doctor. And, you know, these are two characters that haven't always had the chummiest of relationships. But Paris is really hurt by the choice that the EMH is making. You're not really going to do this, are you? Sad to see him go, but he loves to watch him leave. Not mentioned here is that it seems as though Paris's new full-time job will be the ship's doctor, and he will no more be the navigator of the ship. Yeah. And I kind of wish that was baked into this consequence a little more. Like, it's not just that people have grown attached to the doctor and will miss him when he's gone and will have to pick up his duties or whatever, but, like, for Paris to not be able to be ship's pilot anymore, I think is a terrible consequence. Yeah, it sucks for him. And yeah. the the EMH never even considers that. Like, no. Paris should be like, you know, Bolana doesn't want to date somebody that's a nurse. She wants to date a fucking pilot. <laughs> yeah. 
My access to sex goes out the window the second you step foot off the ship, Doc. Yeah. The stick man arms race is effectively over at that point. <laughs> no one up to this point has really wanted to fuck the doctor. And as soon as Paris becomes one, he sees the writing on the wall. Yeah. The next stop is the cargo bay where EMH is saying goodbye to Seven, who is also super hurt by the decision he's made. He's like, oh, this will be cute. I'll drop off like a couple final interpersonal relationship lessons for her from the master class that I've been teaching. And uh, ironically, he hasn't done the calculation of uh, how much he's hurting their interpersonal relationship. It will be difficult to maintain if we never see each other again. Wherever Jerry Ryan goes in order to summon this feeling in her that she deploys at the doctor, this is a dark place. Yeah. Because when you when you know you're going into an interaction that's going to end poorly and the other person's ready for that, mm-hmm. it's surprising to the doctor. The doctor feels like this is going to be a sad goodbye, but not an antagonistic goodbye. And that's what it ends up being. The seven that he is saying goodbye to is dumping a can of kerosene on their friendship and setting it on fire because... She doesn't want him to get it twisted that they're, like, leaving on good terms at all. What the doc tells her about the approval he feels from the live audience and, like, you know, his new life as a performer and how there's really no substitute for that. We've made jokes about that on this show before, but the moment we started doing live shows and meeting Friends of DeSoto and stuff, I think really kind of changed the relationship I had with the thing that we do. And... Like, over the years, that seems to be a measurable reservoir of energy that I have for doing the show at all. It's like, when we take months and months away from being with FODs or doing live shows, yeah, I can feel the project become more work than it ever usually is. And then to go out and do the shows means to replenish that spring. And all of a sudden, my... my relationship to the project changes as a result like it's a real necessary thing i think that's interesting because i think in the scene when he's talking about the meaning he gets from the fan mail and and stuff like that we're supposed to sort of take it as like this is fucking bullshit and Mm -hmm. that stuff isn't more meaningful than his real relationships and i i I think that there's some truth to that but I, i was also like kind of vibing with what he was saying at the same time. Like, I think that there's a kernel of truth in, in like, the in the point he's making. Yeah. I, I had to go into the Drunk Shimoda Gmail for something recently because, like, I don't know. We, <laughs> I forget what it was. We had, like, a service that was using that as the login email that I needed to log into. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, you know, it's, like, semi-haunted in there now. I don't think anybody is checking that inbox and I don't think either of us has in several years now, but like people still send it notes all the time. Yeah, totally. And that was like kind of surprising to see. Yeah. Yeah, there's a real energy to this scene that probably resembles the moment we told our wives that we were going to turn pro at this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And our wives like looked like they wanted to physically fight us. (laughs) 
<laughs> the way like Seven stands up and turns around, she looks like she's ready to fucking pop the doctor. <laughs> you shouldn't keep your fans waiting. So he walks out of this and beams down to the laboratory where Tinku works and she's like hobbling around like she's just engaged in some like really high impact physical activity of some kind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does look that way, doesn't it? She's got a surprise for him. She's developed her own hollow matrix that looks a lot like him, only it's got local loaf. And it can satisfy her. In every way that the doctor used to, only better. (laughs) What she's made is a kind of singing dildo that uh, makes him kind of obsolete. (laughs) It's very hurtful to the doctor. Yeah. The doctor tries to defend himself. He's like, look, this this pile of vibrating latex that can uh, make this interesting sound might be great, but it doesn't have a soul. Yeah. It'll never love you the way I can with feeling. It's pretty brutal. It's it's very clear that she dehumanizes him even more than the captain was doing when he tendered his reg- resignation. Yeah. And doubly hurtful because he had interpreted all her advances as having a romantic component and they were like entirely selfish and not romantic at all for her. Yeah. That really hurts. She was like, no, I just wanted to hit it and quit it, you know, like... The sequence here is what really makes it hit the hardest is because, like, you know, the doctor's already done all his goodbyes. And now this gets dropped on him? Yeah. Oh, no. And it's like, but what about my artistry? And she's like, huh? Yeah. You're what? That doesn't seem to matter. Yeah. Like what we told our wives that we were going to go pro at Star Trek podcasting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's not art. (laughs) So the doctor kind of sees the singing dildo as a threat and knows that he's going to have to really bring it for this performance coming up. In Six Bay, he asks BLT to clear some space in his matrix so that he can sing this super challenging composition. He, He needs more information dumped into this matrix, but his hollow matrix is like my wife's closet. Eventually you've got to in one out one to make everything fit. <laughs> and if the doc wants to sing this new arrangement, he's going to have to sacrifice some of his like essential information that makes him him in order to do it. Yeah, they got to dump all the medical stuff to put this in. And I was really surprised in this moment because it seemed so crushing and so devastating in the previous scene with Tinku that I found it a little bit Surprising that he was still trying to stay, that he was still trying to win her over, but I guess it makes sense. Yeah, I wish we got two scenes this episode. I wish we got Harry Kim absolutely knocking it out with Tinku. Mm -hmm. And I also wish we got a scene where the doctor is trying to work out what exactly he wants to do in the aftermath of seeing the singing dildo. Like, the torture of committing to something that he now regrets... And that, like, maybe some choices still remain on the table. But he doesn't really have anyone to confide in, you know? So, like, that would make that kind of scene impossible. He already burned the bridge with Seven, right? Yeah, and and BLT is, like, such a weird friend for him to turn to at this time. Maybe he could talk to his little doc. 
Maybe some time with his little dot could clear his mind a little bit. I feel like that's the thing he didn't think of that he should have thought of. Yeah. Yeah. So we're at the performance, and the doctor, our doctor, introduces the composition from Tinku as something he cannot do. Very dramatically, he does this. Yeah. And instead, he chooses another song, a soaring opera song that even appears to choke up Janeway, who's up in the audience. Yeah. But while it really hits for her, the applause is really tepid after it's over, right? The Kamar are not wildly enraptured by what he's done here. I think they were just, you know, probably disappointed by his his choice. You know, it's like he's about to play the hit off the new album that's like mm-hmm. really getting a lot of radio play. And he's like, actually, I'm going to play a B-side from an album from before we were famous. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's like, this is your big finale? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I think the Kamar in the audience probably detected what you and I did when we watched this scene, which was the doctor's voice has changed. That's because Robert Picardo performed every other song in the episode besides this one. Oh, wow. This one was sung by a professional tenor. Huh. That's wild, huh? Yeah. I mean, I know that they wrote this for him because he has a love of singing opera, but I didn't... uh... Didn't know that uh, he performed all of those. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty great. So the Kamar know enough about performance to have replicated a giant hook <laughs> that goes and pulls the doctor from the stage. And this allows Tinku to introduce her singing dildo. Yeah. She just whips it out in front of everyone. And this guy gets to work. Yeah. And it is clear that he's on another level. Yeah. And these folks love it. The singing dildo has the kind of skills that the uh, diva Plava Laguna mm-hmm. reps in Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. And uh, can really, you know, go for the high note and the low note at the same time. It's very dissonant and unpleasant sounding. Yeah. Very mathy. Yeah. In a way that, uh, that Prague fans will enjoy. Oh, yeah. Like Stockhausen people. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's how, what you need to do to seem sophisticated or whatever. We cut back over to Voyager, and uh, in the ready room, Janeway works. The ship's underway. Yeah. But the doctor's still on board. She seems surprised by this. And she's surprised that the doctor has requested to stay. Yeah. He uh, tenders his request to be <laughs> reinstated. You can tender a resignation. Can you tender other things too? I think that's what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of tenderizing, <laughs> Janeway absolutely tenderizes his hollow balls <laughs> over his actions the past few days. Yeah. So you've taken off your tails and put them between your legs. Yes, ma'am. He admits he's been a fool. Yeah. Which is nice. He kind of quad box apologies. She basically makes him wear a white clown suit in there. <laughs> but Captain. <laughs> no buts, Doctor. You're expected to follow orders. He does a thing he's done a lot, I think, over the course of his career, which is like 
he makes a mistake and then threatens to delete the subroutine that he thinks caused the mistake to begin with. Right. And he's like, look, I'm done with music. I'm quitting music. Delete the files. And Janeway denies him because his punishment is to remain pretty good, but not amazing at singing, which will be a curse for the rest of his days. <laughs> <laughs> the button on the episode is seven coming to visit him in six bay and she's written him a bit of fan mail that's a big reveal at the end of the letter kind of surprising that it's her giving the olive branch in this moment i really feel like he owes her an apology a lot more than she owes him this letter i thought a lot about how in or out of character this moment was for seven until I realized that like it's cliche, you know, like you don't know what you have until it's gone. Mm -hmm. I think that works for seven too. I don't think she had any idea what her feelings were for the doctor until that moment in the alcove. And so for that moment to be so unique to her, I think would also precipitate the writing of a letter like this and, and that she would read it directly to him. Like that kind of hangs together to me. Yeah. But in the moment, I was surprised. It was very emotional sounding. Nice letter. Good job, Seven, writing that letter. But did you think this episode did a good job of telling a story about a singing doctor? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. I wanted to dislike this episode a lot. Because singing is often really silly. Especially on Star Trek. Yeah. Like, I I was stepping up to watching this episode going, oh, no, this is going to be too silly for me. But... You hate silly shit. That's one of the main things about you. The thing that defeats silly is sincere. And there was enough sincerity throughout the episode. There was enough pain throughout the episode Mm -hmm. that it unsillied all of the singing. And it made it possible for me to enjoy the experience a little more. I like the way it ended, especially, and not the seven reading the letter part, just the, like, that scene where the doctor and Janeway figure out what his punishment's going to be or whatever. That's a good captain moment for Janeway because you don't just get to delete the things that make your mistakes happen. Like, real growth is about... Unless it's like a bad tweet, you know. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Real growth is about, like, sitting in that and and changing, hopefully, for the better. Yeah. So I like the takeaway from this. And I, I medium like the episode, even though there is a lot of opera in it. Opera, not my favorite musical genre. What about you, Ben? That tension between the silliness and the sincerity, I think, is a, a great point you made. And that tension runs through the episode in so many ways, like even outside of the singing, like the... The Kamar are are very silly people. (laughs) Like, I don't know why they need to all be really short. Like, I don't know why they need to clap. Like, you know, they've never even thought to smack their hands together. I don't know why that one lady speaks so slowly (laughs) the entire episode. If you don't have a lot of loaf, what you have is behavior, though. Yeah, And those are a lot of, like, little additive traits that I think paint an unusual picture of these people. They're very interesting Star Trek species because they are dicks, but they're not 
malevolent, you know? Like, yeah. they're not stealing the doctor. They're not overpowering the Voyager when it seems like they probably could. I mean, we have just have to take everybody's word for it. But it seems like everybody agrees that they're so technologically advanced that they would be perfectly capable of just taking something that they wanted if they wanted it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And also, like, run so roughshod over the doctor's feelings. Like, if a great singing career is the football, he is fucking Charlie Brown. And yeah. <laughs> these people are Lucy, man. Yeah. A failure face if I ever saw one. I can't say that I loved the episode. Like, I don't think it quite balances out for me as one that I, like, enjoy watching actively. But I thought it, like, got at some more interesting observations about you know, life and the human condition and having fans than yeah. it really had any right to. Yeah, maybe the only Star Trek episode I can think of that made me consider that aspect, like the the corrupting power of popularity. Yeah. And and like to a certain extent, like the the child actor quality that the doctor goes through. His first sense of that and a fan culture that enjoys him. He is a child actor. He's been alive for only a couple of years. He doesn't know anything about this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be impossible to overstate the extent to which having a medium popular podcast has made us giant assholes. So, Oh, sure. Imagine having millions of fans. We both know podcast hosts of various sizes of listenerships that, I mean, it's all over the spectrum. Yeah. The extent to which you are corrupted by... Uh, your audience. So that's true. It's just a good thing you and I aren't. Squeaky clean. That's us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but one thing that is uh, never corrupt, Adam, are the priority one messages from our listeners. Do you want to go check the inbox? Headed that way. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental. 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 Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Then our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. Okay. That message goes like this. A Babylon 5 podcast by two Star Trek podcasters that are a little bit embarrassed they missed Babylon 5 when it first aired. <laughs> Don't be embarrassed. Imagine. Experiencing a nearly 30-year-old show for the first time again. Jeff Aiken and Brent Allen watched this series for the first time, completely unspoiled. Wow. And they are looking for those important messages that sci-fi delivers so well. Check out Babylon 5 for the first time. Not a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> you can find this show at Babylon Five first. That's Babylon the number five and first dot com. And subscribe today. Babylon five first. Am I just totally off with the popularity of Babylon Five? Like, people really love that show. At least they let us hear about it. They do. People like that show. Yeah. I watched a lot of Babylon Five when I was a kiddo. Yeah. Yeah, and there was a girl in my in my elementary school whose older brother, I think, did ship designs for it. He, like, designed mm-hmm. spaceships for it, and I thought that that was really cool. I don't know what it is about how I choose to enjoy things or whatever, but, like, I was always 
Transformers and not GoBots. I was always like G.I. Joe and not Mask. I was always this but not that. Like I would always I was always Armageddon and not Deep Impact. Like I would choose one of the similar things uh-huh. and that would be it for me. And so like when I found Star Trek, I wasn't really into Star Wars. Like I I just chose Star Trek to the exclusion of the other things that were similar. Wow. And so like by saying that, I'm not saying I hate Babylon 5. I just, I made my choice. I guess you did, Adam. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You've got a great big heart with room enough for all of the shows, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have, like, nostalgia for B5 the way I do for yeah for TNG. Yeah. Or any of the Star Treks, but um, right. I don't know. I remember thinking that there was some cool stuff about it. And uh, I hope people will give this a listen. Maybe you should give it a listen since you, you never even dipped your toe into the Babylon 5 pond. Never did. Yeah. Completely dry toes over here. <laughs> Got to change that, Adam. <laughs> Our next priority one message is from Amanda, and it's to Justin, and it goes like this. Happy birthday, handsome. Thank you for turning me into both a Trekkie and a viewer of the greatest generation. And for being by my side as I work toward being a non-drunk Shimoda. I know it's your birthday, but I'll take the opportunity to remind you that you still owe me a pineapple upside down cake. I love you, and I'm proud of you. Hey, that's nice. That's really nice. I'm going to assume that's not a euphemism. That is a uh, a baked dessert. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah. Congrats on not being a, a drunk Shimoda anymore, Amanda. That rules. Yeah. Boy, sounds like the two of you are lucky to have each other. Yeah, good job by you guys. Happy birthday, handsome. Sorry the birthday wish is so late, but uh, it's closer than a lot of these, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we're doing the best we can. Hey, our final priority one message is from your wife, Kristen, and it's to Georgie. That message goes like this. Hi, handsome. Whoa. <laughs> Another handsome person. (laughs) How many handsomes are there? Uh, Probably two. (laughs) I might be in Africa right now. Or we both might be in Rome. Or we could be home by now. Depending on when this airs, but either way, I love you so much. These 12 years together have been so dope. And I look forward to 100 more. Kisses to you and Linky. Wow. You got to get Georgie and Justin together. A couple of hunks. I know. Yeah. Looking good, Justin and Georgie. No mention of the relative handsomeness of the Babylon 5 podcast that we (laughs) read the promotional materials for. But uh, we're just going to assume three for three. Yeah. Handsome priority one messages here. Probably just a great big pile of hunks. Yeah. All the way down. Mm-hmm. Hello, handsome! Wow, well, if you'd like to tell someone how handsome you think they are, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set up a Priority One message today. It's the only way to do it right. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible! Drunk Shimoda! I'm going to give it to Prelate Carew. <laughs> Seems like Prelate Carew is going to have a bigger role in this than he winds up having. <laughs> He's basically there to like sign off on there being several performances by the doctor and then it has no further role. And it sort of feel like the character was in the script for the earlier draft where the Kamari like steal the doctor and, and send the Voyager packing or something like that. 
Yeah. But uh, I think he's getting my drunk Shimoda for not having the confidence to ask the Kim Tones to get the fuck off stage himself and needing Martin Scorsese to do it for him. Yeah. Yeah, your Shimoda, it also needs to be said, was played by Paul Williams. Yeah. Who is a very famous songwriter uh, who's had just an amazing career. TV writer, too. Yeah. Great to see one of those types of people in a guest starring role on Star Trek, as Star Trek is wont to do. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, How about you? Did you have a drunk Shimoda? I'm going to go with the obvious one. I think the Shimodas of Star Trek often find themselves in situations of their own creation, maybe unable to grapple with the circumstances. Maybe not Shimoda directly. Maybe I'm thinking more of Edward Larkin. But the Doctor, when facing the challenge of popularity, rises to the challenge in a destructive way. And... (laughs) That, to me, embodies the drunk Shimoto spirit maybe as much as anyone. Yeah, fair. Obvious choice, but I think he's got to get a check in his column for this one. Yeah, good call. Well, let me uh, tell you a little bit about the next episode we'll be reviewing here on The Greatest Generation. While I'm doing that, why don't you head to gach.biz slash game. The next episode is Season 6, Episode 14, Memorial. The crew is haunted by vivid images of a battle they don't remember fighting. This feels like another Commander Macduff episode to me. <laughs> Why does this keep happening? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like uh, season six for some reason, just season sixing the hell out of us. <laughs> yeah. Season six is going to season six. Well, our runabout is going to do what it will on the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker. Currently, it is parked on square 71. Okay. One square ahead. We've got Janeway, who would uh, take our runabout upward toward Neelix's galley square. But uh, outside of that, smooth sailing. I'm going to roll the dice. Do it. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Ben, I've rolled a three. Did I win? Hardly. That puts us on square 74. It's a regular old episode. Okay. For you and me. Great. Well, that'll be a lot of fun. Let's uh, go ahead and say goodbye to the folks with a few credits. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who supports the show at MaximumFun.org slash join. Listener support is how this show is made possible. And that support comes in a number of ways. There's the financial support, but there's also the free support in the form of reviews. Mm -hmm. Gotta have those reviews. If you haven't reviewed The Greatest Generation, we'd really appreciate something brief, Mm -hmm. a reason you like it, all of the stars. You know how it goes. Yeah. If you do support at Maximum Fun, we put out a monthly bonus episode. There should be one coming out around this week. Uh, Usually mid-month is when we drop those. So thank you for that. Check your bonus feed. Yeah. We make your support worthwhile. Yeah. Got to thank Wendy Pretty, who helps make your support worthwhile. She's the producer and editor of this show and our other hit Star Trek podcast, Greatest Trek. Yeah. We really appreciate her. We also really appreciate Bill Tilly, the card daddy of the greatest generation. Follow at Greatest Trek on all social media, especially our YouTube you know, I think. Uh, oh yeah. Are, are we are we doing a Code Forty Seven next week? That's a that's a we YouTube are. video that'll be coming out. 
Sure is. We're doing more and more with that YouTube channel. I think people will, will like it if they throw it a follow. Yeah, are you at the office? You have an extra tab? Throw on the show in the background and some earbuds in your ears. We'll get you through the workday. I'm kidding. Got to thank Adam Ragusea for making our original theme music. Adam Ragusea, already hard at work on theme music for an upcoming thing. Amazing. And uh, for what I've heard, it's fucking great. <laughs> um, with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of the greatest generation Voyager that's like not quite sure if it glimpses the nemesis because it just kind of doesn't remember correctly whether it glimpses the nemesis or not. Yeah, you can't glimpse what you cannot Remember. Make it show. Maximum fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.